everyone. This is Pete Van Epps, and welcome to another edition of the Camera Brooks Above and Beyond podcast. You know, this podcast is designed to talk to and interview successful business leaders who have made the transition from the military to corporate America. And so today, I interview Joel Godfrey. Joel is a former uh, Navy nuclear submarine officer, Naval Academy graduate, and now is a senior consultant at AP Networks. AP Networks is a company that helps equipment companies within the oil and gas and chemical industries conduct major turnaround and capital projects, which we start to get into a little bit here in the podcast. Some of the other things that Joel shares with us, he talks about the similarities and differences between leading projects in the military and leading projects in corporate America. We talk and get into the topic of assimilating into the business world from the military and making meaningful connections, finding camaraderie. Uh, We dig into mentorship a little bit and really plugging into military or maybe ex-military networks uh, in the business world. We also focus on, we have another topic we jump into is talking about the importance of focusing on customer needs, listening and problem solving, and then we kind of end, end the podcast with some advice about being patient. And it's, uh, I, I encourage you to hang on to the end because he shares some really interesting and insightful words about being patient. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks again for listening and subscribing. Here's Joel Godfrey. Hey, Joel, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me, Pete. I appreciate it. All right. So um, let's get right into it. You know, I I always like to start the podcast and just hear a little bit about um, your military background and what you did before you made the transition from the military into corporate America. So um, tell us a little bit about your military background. So I enlisted uh, right out of high school in uh, 99. Um, I was one of those kids that, you know, wanted to go to college but didn't come from a family background where we could really afford to do that. Um, And the nuclear power program in the Navy seemed like a really great opportunity for education, for some world experience, for some work experience. Um, So after two years of doing that as a uh, uh, nuke electrician for submarines. Uh, I got picked up for an officer candidate program, ended up going to the Naval Academy. Uh, I like to tell people that I, I didn't quite learn my lesson the first time, so I volunteered and went back subbed again. Um, ended up spending um, uh, just an amazing, awesome tour for three years on the USS Bermerson out of Pearl Harbor, which was, it was a fantastic experience. I got to do um, a Westpac, uh, so three missions, you know, vital to national security, just amazing experience as a warfighter, but I also had a really great experience because the Bremerton was, at that time, the second oldest boat on, in the Pacific Fleet, uh, right behind the LA, and then when the LA got decommed, we were the oldest boat, so um, kind of built in this, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. So we got to do a lot of maintenance, uh, spent a lot of time in the shipyard, which really helps the, the work that I do now in oil and gas. Um, after the Bremerton, uh, I was lucky enough to get to go to NPS, 
to get my MBA in finance. And NPS, um, tell us what that means. Oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. The, the Navy Postgraduate School out in Monterey, um, and all the branches of service use it. It was it was a really interesting tour because it was the first time in my career, you know, coming from um, a little community in the Navy where I'm only dealing with other sub folks uh, to suddenly being in this joint environment where I've got, you know, Army guys, Air Force guys, Marines from all different types of uh, backgrounds and warfare disciplines. And the other great thing about NPS is it's not a big school. Most of it is technically related. You know, they kind of have um, three different colleges or four different colleges, the College of Engineering, the College of, like, uh, pure Applied Sciences, um, the Diplomatic School, and then the Business School to handle, you know, the budgeting and accounting, things that um, the Pentagon just has to do. And so, but you get a lot of mixing. You get a lot of chance to experience other folks as well. Sure. Um, when you uh, when you transition, obviously you transitioned through Kamer Brooks, came and interviewed with a bunch of different companies. And so tell us a little bit about AP Networks and why you chose to go there, and then maybe you can get into a little bit and about what you're doing there now. Hey, absolutely. So for the folks that obviously the, that haven't been through the conference, process yet. Um, they don't know, but when you show up on the weekend prior to the interviews, uh, you guys there at Cameron Brooks will give you a brief on each of the companies that you're going to be interviewing with. Um, Chuck Alvarez actually kind of gave the brief for AP Networks because it was the first time that they had been there. They were you know, a brand new client for you guys, um, and they don't fit the profile for a lot of your other clients. We're a very, very small privately owned firm. Um, we have three offices around the world, but we have you know, just under 100 employees worldwide across those three offices. Right. Um, so we don't fit that typical profile. And so as he was giving this brief and describing the company, describing what they do, um, they just immediately shot to the top of my list. So what we are is a consulting firm. Um, we deal with owner companies in oil and gas. So the, the people who own the assets, the, the Chevrons, the Shells, the BPs of the world. And um, we help them manage turn, what we call turnarounds and capital projects. Most people are probably familiar with uh, the term capital projects. A turnaround is anytime you're shutting down a major asset, like a refinery or a chemical plant, um, to do regulatory maintenance to do repairs, things like that. And it's called turning it around because it's going from a broken state to a fixed state and you're trying to do it as quickly as possible. Um, so that's kind of the, the little niche where my company lives. Um, and because they're so small and have the ability to kind of be nimble, uh, it really reminded me a lot of the submarine force where you know you only have eight officers on board and everybody has to kind of do every job and watch each other's back all the time. Um, and so I kind of had an inkling that that was the type of company this was going to be. And uh, I'm fortunate now that I'm here, it is that kind of company. It's very tight, very close-knit. Um, and I really like that kind of environment. Yeah. Well, and you, you talked earlier um, when you were on the Bremerton 
um, it, it being an older boat, you had the opportunity to really get your hands on some maintenance projects. Can you can you share a little bit about um, how your military experience kind of gave you some insight? I mean, my guess is you're you know you're doing a lot of different things relative to what you were doing on the submarine, but but maybe you can connect that for us since you made that comment earlier about how some of your experience helps you, your previous experience in the military helps you now. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways. So um, we kind of live on two different levels as a company. We go out to the sites and we perform um, these mini kind of readiness inspections on them. Um, for those who come from the nuclear world, uh, they're you know kind of like our horse inspections, where um, you know if it's a very large turnaround event, um, we'll come out there anywhere 16, 14 months before the event, and we like to see an event at least four times, three while you're planning and one post. Um, so when we come out and do these readiness inspections, you know that correlates very. Uh, closely to the type of reviews and inspections that we would get when we were in the military. So that kind of uh, falls right in line. It's all old hat. And you're, at that level, we're making tactical, tactical recommendations. Um, when I was doing XYZ kind of maintenance, here's the problems I experienced. I see that you're running into the same exact kind of problem. Here's what I recommend you do. Uh, when I was in the shipyard, uh, and we were attempting to plan or schedule or work this kind of maintenance. Here's what I saw. So it's at, it's at the craft, maintenance, and immediate supervisor kind of planning tactical level. So that's, that's the, the kind of the area that we live most on a day-to-day -day basis. But our clients are really the corporate headquarters that own these assets. And so we also get to kind of... Um, you know, live at a higher level, at a more strategic level, where we talk with the owners about long-term strategy, and we get to kind of be their independent um, third-party eyes and ears at the ground level and give them, you know, more strategic recommendations about what to do with their assets over the long term. Um, and so I actually, my la I didn't tell you, but my last tour of duty, once I decided that I was going to get out and I took a shore duty, I ended up working. Uh, for an admiral staff out in Norfolk. At the time, it was called Strike Force Training Atlantic. Basically, it certified all the surface ships on the East Coast before they could deploy. Um, so at MPES, I got to live in this joint world for the first time. Well, on this admiral staff, I got to live in, in a world of kind of executives for the first time, where I was, you know, um, reporting to, briefing on occasion and reporting to a two-star. Um, which I'd never done before in my career. Right. So I, I get kind of, at AP Networks, I still get to live in kind of both of those worlds at the tactical level and at a high strategic executive kind of level. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you're going through that. I, I, you know, in the Navy, maintenance and getting things online, you know, speak to the bottom line of the Navy, which, you know, let's just say national security at a, at a very broad level. But at AP Networks, and, and maybe you can jump into this for us, you know, you talk about your clients, you talk about your customers, and in performing these turnaround projects, you know, I, my guess is it, it's for the distinct purpose of running a very tight ship, so to speak, in that, 
you know, when a when an asset goes offline or when when, it, when a capital project is initiated, every moment or every every day that goes by that that asset is offline or that project is not in, implemented, there's a financial or a cost factor associated with it. Something that maybe wasn't as or maybe it was completely non-existent, but it's certainly not as prevalent in the Navy. Are are you? When you're thinking about your business, you know, is is there a true difference between your experience in the Navy and your experience in corporate America relative to um, companies' um, uh, initiatives in order to drive uh, profitability for the organization? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we have clients that measure these turnarounds in dollars per minute. Wow! So you better believe it's a totally different mindset. Than, um, than what you're doing is shipyard availability in the Navy. Um, now, I, I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression. Like schedules are important in the Navy. You know, we had other submarines waiting for us to get out of the shipyard. We had a heart and other people waiting to get into that dry dock. So we schedule was important. We had a hard and fast base, and and money was important too. You know, um, of course, uh, if overtime wasn't authorized, you weren't going to be working that job on the weekend unless you got some um, very special kind of authorizations. Uh, and there would be, you know, hoops you'd have to, j to jump through to make that happen. And you have to prove your business case. So it, that's there in the Navy, but it's just front and, you know, foremost in the civilian world. You know, do, do you like that more? Do you find that more exciting? Is that is that something that that it, it you know as you even describe it, it it's got to be a pressure but but is it a good pressure tell me a little bit tell me about your response and reaction to to you know the kind of the financial implications of every project and the time constraints and things like that yeah i mean we're getting to the, some deep kind of philosophy here um on one hand it, it is really good pressure on the other hand um i've also seen it drive some let's say dysfunction within organizations and maybe not always if incentives aren't aligned correctly yeah it sometimes drives poor decision making in organizations you know um, you make decisions to uh, cut off your nose and spite your face for lack of a better um, phrase um, so, so sometimes it obviously that has to be there they're they're not in the business of shutting these units down for maintenance, they're not in the business of turnaround, so right. they they want to make money, um, but at the same time, um, you have to look at the overall life cycle. You know, for example, um, the one of the biggest things we preach in AP Networks, and I'm sorry if this is too technical or uh, far of an aside, um, but right you ahead. can't plan you can't plan a maintenance outage if you don't know what the scope of the work is going to be. And so locking down scope is a very, very key milestone very early in your planning. But you have to imagine scope has kind of two um, opposing forces pulling on it. Uh, one is the budget and the schedule. And, and kind of um, folks at the corporation have set a number in their head years in advance of when we want to take this outage and how much money we want to spend on it. And then you've got this other opposing force of reliability. You know, these are mechanical, physical systems that are either going to run or they're not. And um, 
and unfortunately, this is a in a real world situation. It's a zero sum thing. It's either pay me now or pay me later. Um, and so sometimes we we make short term, you know, kind of decisions that will, we will eventually end up paying for in reliability later. Um, but the really good organizations have structural things built in to make sure that they have the right methodology and they get to the right decisions. Um, they don't leave it up to human emotion or, or, or second chance or guess. And that's one of the things that we try to help our clients with. Um, you know, folks will bring us in for scope and people down at the site and the tactical level, they think, oh, you're bringing in a consultant. This is, this is a cost-cutting measure. This is just, we're going to rip and pull stuff out. And that's not the world we come from. You know, we're all uh, engineers. Uh, we've lived in operational roles of having to operate equipment before. Um, so we're, we, we definitely come with the mindset of, no, you have to right-size the scope. You have to do the scope that makes sense um, and not make a short-term decision of cut, necessarily cutting things out for budgetary reasons when it's going to cost you twice as much when you break a year. Well, that, that's really good insight. And I don't think it was too deep into the weeds. I think insight like that, you know, helps, helps a lot of – everyone who hears that story, regardless if they're in the military or outside of the military, can either anticipate or appreciate, depending on their position, uh, what you're saying. So that, that's, that's very insightful. I, I love it. That, that was great. Let me, uh, let me change gears on you here a little bit. I want to talk – kind of get into the topic of – of your transition and really kind of your interaction with other military officers that you work with, but let me let me start here. Um, and and this is really probably more geared for people who are still in the military or getting ready to make a transition or maybe recently made a transition. You know, we talk a lot about the first year out of the military into the business world or corporate America being being somewhat challenging. You know, new industry, new company new leadership team, new coworker, new mission, like everything's really new and you're leaning on your military experiences, your competencies and your strengths, but there's still a there's still a um, um, a movement toward, you know, assimilating into this everything's new. So tell us a little bit about your first year or perhaps some of the challenges and how you were able to uh, overcome either from action or mindset or whatever it might be. So I got lucky. Um, I was the first of a recent kind of slate of junior officers that we've hired from Cameron Brooks. Um, after, um, so my hiring conference, our company hired uh, myself and a surface warfare officer. And um, the owners of the company said, and this isn't a reflection on us, it's more of a reflection on junior officers in general. They said that going to Cameron Brooks and hiring junior officers was the best decision they've ever made, and they've hired uh, six more in the last two years since. But we, I, I got lucky, though. The reason they got turned on to Cameron Brooks is we had two prior military officers that had gone through you guys uh, years before. They had gone into other companies in refining, some of our client companies, um, and they had worked their way through oil, gas, chemicals, and then ended up in the consulting world. Um, and when our company was looking to kind of expand and expand pretty rapidly, um, these guys said, hey, there's this resource. You know, we come from a military background, and we can tell you what these folks are capable of. You need to go look at Cameron Brooks and get and hire some of these folks. Um, so when I came on board that first year, 
I had these two prior military officers, uh, one a new submarine guy just like me, and the other one an Army helicopter pilot. Um, he has an aeronautical engineering degree, and he worked in refining for close to a decade before he came to um, my consulting company. So, you know, they were kind of, you know, the, the perfect mentors. Um, they, they knew the world I was coming from. They knew right. the refining industry inside and out, and they knew consulting. Um, so my first year, uh, I was paired up with these two guys, just kind of joined at the hip. Um, so that was, that was a great benefit to me. Um, and then also, we're just a very small company, um, which is the great thing about being a very small private firm, uh, we have two owners that live in uh, Washington, D.C., is that we can be really agile. Uh, we can make decisions very quickly. Um, and uh, we have that same kind of feel that you have on a submarine. You know, on my boat, we had eight officers. Um, everybody has to know how to do everyone else's job. Everyone has to rely on everyone else, and, and you have to watch each other's back all the time. Um, and it's kind of like that in this world as well. Um, my office here in Houston, we have 10 folks now, 10, 10 consultants. Um, and we, have our, we divide up our, our clients, and we're on the road going out and making sure that we're meeting their needs and doing engagements with them, which means we have to constantly cover for each other, assist each other, watch each other's back. Um, there really isn't, it feels like a wardroom here, just like it would on a ship. Okay. Um, and I think the guys that were here before me kind of helped foster that environment. And then hopefully me and the other um, officers that have been brought on since then are just continuing to perpetuate that. Well, you you and another another officer, Pete Kwiatkowski, were the first to go over there from Cameron Brooks, as you said, in this in this kind of wave. Have you been able to, you know, as the two as the two gentlemen who kind of took you under their wing, so to speak? He didn't quite say that, but it really kind of mentored you and kind of shepherded you along. Have you been able to uh, implement that with some of the other military officers who have made the transition, especially, I think, one, we talked about this earlier, but one, only one other person was a submarine officer. Everyone else, a couple from the Marine Corps, a couple from the Army. Um, have you been able to kind of do the same thing? Though you hadn't been at the company quite as long, have you been able to bring them along now that you're you know, you were hired as a senior consultant. Now you've been promoted and are a, or sorry, hired as a consultant. Now you've been promoted and are a senior consultant. How have you been able to do that? So we pair um, every new hire up with a running mate. Um, so you mentioned the other submarine officer. He's uh, a great guy. His name is uh, Chris. When he was uh, in Cameron Brooks and he, he said, I want to potentially go with AP Networks, Immediately, my boss, same day, while at the conference, you know, contacted me and said, "Hey, you know, this guy's going to be your running mate. Here's his information. Um, wait for him to reach out to you. Uh, but when he does, you know, get him up to speed as quick as you can." And since he's been on board, uh, we go normally as consultants, we travel in two-person teams. But whenever we bring a new hire on for the first six months they come out on jobs as a third wheel. And so, you know, just like I was attached to the hip of those two prior officers, when Chris came on board, 
uh, he was attached either to me or to Pete Kwiatkowski, following us along um, on each of these jobs, kind of learning just the day-to-day, what do we do, how do you interface with a client, um, but then also what are what are the technical aspects because part of this job, you know, we know shipboard maintenance very well, um, but we don't necessarily know what all of the um, process units are in a refinery. So not you know not only are we teaching them how to be a consultant, we're like, hey, this is a crew unit, this is a reformer, this is an operation unit. Like just getting him kind of up to speed on the on the terminology too. And they they do that for about six months. Um, and then we we pick a couple of jobs that we know are established clients that we have really good relationships with, and we let them kind of test drive uh, a few engagements on their own. And so far, uh, you know, everybody that we've gotten, uh, all the JMOs have just been fantastic. They knock yeah. it out of the park, and that's why our company just keeps going back at least uh, twice a year. One of the things I hear from military officers is they're contemplating a transition and, and even those that are already out of the military is you know one of the things I l- really loved about the military was the camaraderie have you been able mm-hmm. to find that either either with the military officers that are their former military officers or even in other arenas of your life you know outside of work or outside of this group of people that work that you work with absolutely so this group, we are very tight-knit. Not only do we work together and we travel on business together, um, when we're in town, we're, you know, we're playing golf, we're doing team-building exercises. It's Like I said, it, it feels 100% the same as the wardroom on my ship, no different whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but even outside that, um, so when I was there through my hiring conference, I interviewed with maybe two or three um, other companies that are now clients of AP Networks, <laughs> and I travel out to their sites, and I run into other Cameron Brooks people Got that um, were at my hiring conference or have been at hiring conferences since then. So I, you know, I ask them kind of this, a lot of the same questions you're asking me right now about, hey, how's your transition been? Like, what's it like working here? Um, and to a company, there is, and to a, to every person's experience that I've talked to. There are really tight military networks within each right. of these companies. Um, so when they plug in, um, they're not just out there on their own. There are other people who have kind of charted this path. They have you know routine uh, meetings and discussions and people checking in on them and how you're doing. Um, and it really makes the whole process a lot easier. You know, I'm really glad you said that. As soon as you did, it reminded me of my own experience working at Johnson & Johnson for um, the time that I did. There was a very strong military network as well. And I just and I just think that with such a shared experience in, in building an initial career from the military, people just naturally gravitate toward that shared experience and that background and that commonality because because even a company as big as you know J and J and AP Networks are different in, different in size, but even in those two different types of companies, there was a very strong uh, former military network um, and group. There was even a, we called it an affinity group, but a group that met as well. And so, you know, it's interesting. I think that um, I think that that's pretty common. And the thing that people think they'll miss most about the military 
ends up being the thing that they pursue and strive for outside of the military and get an equal amount of fulfillment. Different, right? I mean, it's different mm-hmm. um, in in many different in many situations, but but still able to to kind of fill that cup, if you will, of uh, of the camaraderie piece. Let me change gears in here a little bit. A couple more questions. Um, as we're getting to the end, I, I want to hear about you and kind of what you're working on, and and maybe you can start with this. And what are you what are you working on professionally? How are you continuing to grow yourself? I know that um, when we knew each other prior to you transitioning, you were engaged in interview preparation and learning more about the business world. Mm-hmm. But now that you're out, what are you working on? Um, so when I first got here, um, and our company is really good about running people through kind of like refining one on one 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 courses. Okay. We've got a lot of folks that are you know thirty year plus chemical and refining veterans that kind of um, we run our own little internal clinics. So there's always that professional element, you know, training element of just learning my industry more. Sure. Um, and sure. you know, we subscribe to some industry journals and things like that. But I you know, but the, the biggest kind of piece of our pie really is the consulting aspect. And you don't have, at least in you know, the jobs that I had in the Navy, I never had to um, develop professional relationships in that way, where the the client consultant kind of relationship. Um, so what, I, what I'm working with is how do you empathize with the client and see problems from their perspective, so that you can help them come up with you know the the best solution. We ha- we have a lot of solutions, um, and I can try to shove everybody into the same one-size-fits-all kind of uh, box, but they're not going to be happy there, (laughs) and it's not going to fit, and it's probably not going to work. So um, rather than trying to change my clients to fit inside the box, we're small, we're nimble, we have to change, um, but that means really understanding what they need. Um, And that's not an easy nut to crack. And, um, you know, being young and inexperienced at this, I've found that sometimes I can empathize with the client too much and um, kind of go to bat for, hey, we really need to change X, Y, and Z about the way that we do business and kind of lose the bigger picture of the fact that, hey, we're a company, we're a business too that has to be profitable. Um, We're not going to give away the farm for every single client. So striking that right balance of um, being entrepreneurial, Finding what are the opportunities, what are the the holes in the market, how can we help fill that hole, um, but doing it in a in a smart way as well. Um, so that's what I'm trying to. I've got kind of two. Uh, when I was promoted to senior consultant, I cut, I got two clients that are kind of you know my day to day clients. One is a uh, chemical company, and one is a a small refiner but a refiner that wants to grow through acquisition. Um, and so they're this, the refiner is kind of my, my day-to-day who I interact with the most because they're, that's where the most energy is right now because they want to grow. And they're going from an organization that didn't have a lot of structure, didn't have a lot of processes in place. And so helping them at that strategic level of how do they grow and then rolling it out to their different um, refineries across the country at the tactical level is 
that's kind of consuming <laughs> all my time and effort right now. Right. Um, are you, last two questions, that's good, it's good perspective. Well, let me just kind of make a quick comment to that because I think when I'm talking to military officers who are transitioning, that's one of the things I talk a lot about in the military. We don't, we don't call people customers. It, there are some professions, career fields within the military that are a little bit more customer focused or customer centric, but for the most part, we don't even use the word customers in the military um, or clients perhaps, but, but that's one of the things I, I spend a lot of time talking about is getting military officers to, to see their experience from the customer's perspective. And sometimes their customers are their bosses, right? It doesn't have to be some external agency. But I think your comment is so insightful because in, you know in business we're customer focused. And so that's one of the big primary differences between the military and the business world is being customer focused. So um, that's really insightful. And I think very helpful for a lot of people who would be listening to this is kind of focusing a little bit more, learning how to be a little bit more customer focused, regardless if they're in or out of the military. Uh, very good, can very I, good. Please. Can I yeah. jump in with one more? Yeah. So yeah. I guess for me, something you just said kind of cued something off that, um, you know, I think, you know, like when I was on the boat out in Pearl, our customer probably would have been comm sub pack. Um, but I never had to kind of guess what the mission was. I had, the mission was given to us very clearly. We pull in a seventh fleet, here's your list of priorities. Um, we want you to go after number one first, obviously, and then number two and three. Um, the mission was, you know, very clear. Whereas I found a lot of times in the business world, at least in the field I'm in, there, there is no clear cut mission. You have to develop what is the mission. Um, and so that's where uh, I'm focusing my time and energy now. And how are you doing that? I mean, I, you don't, I, you know, you don't have to necessarily go into overly specific detail, but, but how do you, you know, to to hear like I have to find define the mission, you know, what are the criteria that you use to to set the course for that? I guess it's a lot of listening. Uh, it's a lot of finding one-on-one -on -one time with the client um, and figuring out what really are your problems. Um, so that's some structured, um, like, hey, we, we need to do the following engagements because I know you've got this outage come up. Let me, let's come in and do a review. Some of that is not structured. Let, let me take you out to lunch and just kind of pick right. your brain. Um, uh, some of that is, uh, stalking them through Google Alerts and just seeing what are the headlines saying about their companies right now. Right. Um, it, you know, it's just all of the above. Uh, but but mostly, like I said, listening because uh, people they I mean they know their problems better than I do, and um, mm -hmm. so letting them speak. Really, really insightful. That, that's great dialogue. I appreciate that. All right, all right. Last question, and, and it's, we like to ask this question of everyone we talk to. What's the best advice that you've received lately, and maybe the best advice you've given lately? Uh, so starting with the first one, it's the advice that comes from my boss uh, kind of on a routine basis is, uh, is be patient. Um, Something that will surprise me, um, and maybe this isn't true of everywhere, but it, at least in the oil and gas sector, it's a very conservative industry. And in the military, we give a lot of responsibility 
to young folks right out of college. Um, and it's not that way. Um, so for me, I'm constantly like, hey, we should be doing this. We should be doing that. Or, I, I, this is where I want to go. And, you know, talking, thinking big ideas to my boss. And he's like, you know, pace yourself. This isn't, this isn't a sprint. This is a 30-year-long career race. Mm -hmm. Who knows where you're going to go in this industry? Be patient. Let opportunities kind of come to you. Uh, build some experience. And it's great advice. I know he's speaking wisdom. It's not always the easiest thing to hear or to uh, to take on board, but um, there's that. Um, you know, advice I wonder that if I've that, given. Let, let me hop in on that. Maybe we can just vamp on that for just a second. You know, I sure. wonder if it's because in the military, you know that you have a finite amount of time in any one billet. Like, I'm going to be on the Bremerton for two and a half years, and I've got two and a half years to make things happen because I know when I go to my short tour or short duty or NPS or whatever's next, you know, whatever whatever I do is going to be left for the next person and whatever I don't do won't get done kind of thing. Do you think that's kind of a mentality that we bring with us? Because I think I shared some of that same experience when I first came out is kind of wanted to set the world on fire and, and my boss is like, well, you know, hold on, you know, you got to think a little bit more big picture and long term than, than where you're at right now. What What are your thoughts about that? I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's a different kind of event horizon that I'm dealing with now. Um, and even you know my wife, um, we were you know we lived in a, we were in the military together. She we she married me right out of college, so she got the whole experience. And we every three years we're moving, right? We're we're all into a different job. We're all into a different location. Um, so you have these much shorter horizons where you feel like you've got to cram in a lot of life, a lot of experience. You've got to make a lot of stuff happen. Um, and so uh, something I found with AP Networks, I love the job that I'm doing. I love the company that I'm doing. But there's still like this three-year itch. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, is what what's next? Am I moving on to something else now? Um, and then in, I think she's felt that in our personal life too. It's like it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Wow, like why aren't we packing up yet? <laughs> Is this, is this still real? Are we still staying here? Is this, um, so it's we're I'm still transitioning, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, if I may, you know, we we even say a lot of that to military officers who recently transitioned. You know that this transition that we describe is not the I'm out of the military. I found work. It really, ah, it's perfect. I mean, and we didn't set this up anybody. I mean, but we really say three to five years is the transition. So the fact that that you have confirmed that and really corroborated a lot of what we say is is absolutely right. This 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 transition takes time, and and that is sage advice, Joel. I sincerely mean that. Um, pay, be patient, especially initially, because because we that's not our mentality, and and that's a big leap, and that's a big part of the transition. So man, that is that is really really. Um, useful, helpful, great advice. So thank you. All right, final one. What about the best advice, advice you've given lately? I'm going to cop out on this one. <laughs> I turn, <laughs> I take the, the sage wisdom from my boss and I turn around and give it <laughs> to the other guys in the office as well. Because they'll say, like, they'll see a client and they'll say, this is, you know, the same thing we used to do as JOs. You, know, you sit around and you complain about the uh, the higher organization. You know, why are the admirals doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Why are, Why is the Navy set up this way? 
Well, that's what we do. We step into one of our client companies and we say, this is nuts. Why would anybody do it like this? Why would anybody organize it like this? And I have to say, okay, let's be, slow down. This is this company has you know evolved this way over many many years. This is kind of maybe why they're here. Let's take them where they are. Let's let's see what can we what's a short term thing that we can maybe fix right now. Let's not try to solve all the world's problems. So I just I just recycle good information. That's, you know I'm a consultant. That's what I do. <laughs> Well, um, this has been uh, very helpful, and uh, and I really appreciate you taking almost an hour out of your very busy schedule, it sounds like, to uh, impart some great n wisdom and experience uh, to those who listen to this podcast. It's been enlightening for me as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed the time. Thank you very much for uh, spending a couple of minutes with us today, Joel. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.